Welcome to Impact AI, brought to you by Pixel Scientia Labs. I'm your host, Heather Couture. On this podcast, I interview innovators and entrepreneurs about building a mission-driven, machine-learning-powered company. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my newsletter to be notified about new episodes. Plus, follow the latest research in computer vision for people in planetary health. You can sign up at pixelscientia.com newsletter. Today, I'm joined by guest Haro Stockman, CEO and founder of Kepler Vision, to talk about activity recognition for healthcare. Haro, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Hera. Haro, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to create Kepler Vision? Yeah, I have a PhD in computer vision and from the University of Amsterdam. And in the past, I had another startup. We were the very first ones, I think, in the world, which was 2009, that could recognize in photos and videos the occurrence of cats and dogs and sunsets. And we were also the first ones that could manage to run those algorithms, deep convolutional neural networks, on a smartphone. And the company got uh, very successful. It was acquired by Qualcomm, the American uh, semiconductor company. And after that, I saw the world of machine learning progressing and new topics in machine learning and computer vision were human activity recognition. And human activity recognition is, is a person standing up or bending forwards or on his knees. And what is the person doing? Is he changing the tires of a car or is he smoking a cigarette or eating or drinking? And I thought, well, if this new technology is going to hit the market, where can it, where should it be? And I saw so many opportunities that I decided to yeah, start up a new company, and that became uh, Kepler Vision. So we bring a new field of machine learning to the market, which is human activity recognition, and we apply it to the care vertical, because healthcare has a bunch of problems. In the Netherlands alone, there are over 100,000 job vacancies today. Because of aging population, demand for care increases year over year between 3 to 6%. And on top of that, 25% of the caregivers are going to retire in the next five years. So there's this massive problem coming towards us, lack of care staff. And I think that computer vision, machine learning, human activity recognition provides a, a piece of the puzzle to, to solve this problem. And that's the background of Kepler Vision. So what specific problems are, are you solving with, with Kepler Vision right now? I think the biggest problem in care facilities is the lack of staff, and then especially the lack of staff during the night. Like, can you imagine that you have to start your work at 11 o'clock at night and then continue to work until 7 o'clock in the morning? That is the biggest problem, and therefore we created the Kepler Night Nurse. And the Kepler Night Nurse is a solution that it uses a sensor. The sensor is placed in the room of a client at the elderly care facility or a hospital or a mental care facility, and the sensor looks after the well-being of the, of the client so that care staff doesn't have to do it. So the productivity of care staff increases significantly during the night. And what we can do is our software can sensor can recognize if a client is, is in bed. It can recognize if a client is sitting at the edge of the bed and often they need help to get out of bed or to get to the bathroom. Our software can recognize if a client has fallen, if he's in the bathroom and then 
he is there too long because clients uh, may slip there or if he's wandering in the, in the hallways of, of a care facility. And because we can do that, care staff doesn't need to worry, doesn't need to do routine jobs, and the same work can be done with less staff. And in addition, there's also a big advantage for the, for the, for the clients or for the residents in the, in the care facilities. If, for instance, they fall, our software recognizes the fall within 10 seconds, and then our software sends an alarm to the phone of the caregiver so that the caregiver can instantly run to the client and get him on his feet. Whereas the alternative is that the client yeah, remains uh, on a cold floor, gets uh, undercooled. Maybe the client has fallen and is bleeding. And often they are they have taken medication for blood thinners. So once they bleed, they can continue to bleed. So there's many advantages, not only for the care staff, but also for the, for the residents. So how does machine learning work within this? How does it recognize these different activities? How do you, how do you set that up? By providing training examples. So we have collected, I think, in the past few years, over a million training examples of the real thing, of real care facilities, of real hospitals. We started out with, with basic machine learning models and discovered they did not work very well. We added many of the uh, missed falls and, and missed detections to the training set so that now we, we have over a million uh, manually annotated samples. We train our algorithms on that. Yeah, that, that's how we do it. Are you working with still images or, or video in order to recognize these activities? Both. So we run it on still images, but then we seek to combine evidence. So if on a single image, we, our software detects that the person has fallen, it's to, to be before it sends a, a message, it makes sure that also in the next subsequent uh, 10 to 20 frames, that person is fallen. And only if that is the case, it sends out an alarm. And by averaging over time, this ensures that the false alarm rate and the missed detection rate is incredibly low. What kinds of challenges do you encounter in working with this type of imagery from healthcare facilities? And what, what kind of challenges does it create in, in trying to train a machine learning model? Yeah, I think the main challenge is the privacy concerns that customers often have. They're completely right. So we use a camera to look after clients that cannot look after after themselves because they have physical problems, because they have mental problems, and we film them in their most private moments. And the way we resolve it is, is threefold. First of all, we stick to all the rules and regulations. So we sign with care facilities, we sign a data processing agreement. And in the data processing agreement is defined how long we can store the data, that the data needs to be encrypted, what type of people can look at the data. So that, that, that is one. The second one is that although we use a camera, a sensor, the output of our algorithm is not an image, but it is a text string. So we convert video to text, which is very privacy preserving. And then thirdly, we do use, we do store images now and then to calibrate the models and to further improve the accuracy of our algorithms. For those images, similarly to uh, Google Street View, we blur the faces 
so that even if you would want to look at those images, the patients or the residents are not recognizable. And to give you an example of what, what that means, a few weeks ago we had a customer, a big care facility that had an intruder, a burglar. The police saw that there were cameras in the room, so the police asked for uh, for the imagery. We provided those images, however, and the intruder was indeed uh, visible, but our software has, had blurred the face, so the images were not uh, usable. So that is how we solve the privacy concern. And I think that is the main hurdle that we often need to take. After that, also, staff needs to be trained to use our software. They need to build up the trust that they don't need to do the nightly rounds anymore, that they can trust our system. And that takes lots of explanation. But I think those two are the main things that we need to resolve and that we have resolved. How do you go about building trust then? You mentioned your explanations. Is it by helping them understand how the system works or are there other means that you can use to build trust? Yeah, I think in healthcare, there's a division between the people that provide the care themselves, so the nurses on the one hand, and there's also the what they refer to as the IT guys. And very clearly, I am an IT guy, and lots of the PhDs that work for me are also IT guys. People that work in care do not trust or have lots of affinity with people from IT. They much rather talk to people that also had a past of, of providing care. So what we actually, what we have done, and we, and we have learned that, we have hired care consultants, former nurses, people that were nurses in, in the past. We have trained them on how to use our software, and they are the best representatives of, of our business. They are trusted by caregivers. So they are the ones that provide the training courses. How do you go about validating your your models to be sure they're performing you know, as accurately as you need them to? That is lots of manual labor. So we do, in the first month or so, after we connect a new client, we do quality assurance. So the first five or ten signals that our software generates are manually inspected by quality assurance professionals that work for us. And they check whether a generated alarm, like person sitting on the edge of the bed, person leaving the room, a person laying on the floor, whether those alarms are correct. And if they are not, they are flagged, added to the training set, a new neural network is trained and deployed at that customer. And that has led us now to an incredibly low false alarm rate. I think we have one false alarm per room per three months which is way better than any other sensor that we encounter uh, in the field. But that, that is the strength of, of machine learning, of today's machine learning. So that feedback loop of identifying errors and feeding them back into the, that model, that, that definitely helps to improve your, your model over time. Are there any other things you're doing to ensure that your model will perform maybe in different facilities, on different types of people, in different care environments? You know, is there anything special you're doing there? So I think in professional care, our software now pretty much works out of the box. It took some time to get to where we are. So in the first customer and the first client rooms, our, our software would make mistakes. There would be a hat hanging on a wall with a coat underneath and a pair of boots. And our software would mistake that for a person. 
and it would send an alarm. Around Christmas, uh, lots of small little statues of Joseph and Maria would be placed on closets that tricked our software. We also had a case of an elderly client who used to have pigeons, who had stuffed pigeons, which uh, confused our, our software. But over time, we added more and more examples to our training set, and we are now at a phase where our software pretty much works out of the box, actually. So it's really that iterative updates to the, the training sets that has got you to, to this, this level of performance. Yes, that is correct. Are there any modeling aspects, you know, perhaps to make your model more robust in different lighting conditions? Are there any modeling aspects like that that's played a part in, in getting to this level of performance? Or was it really just a focus on data? Yeah, I think that was it was on data. Because we have now so many thousands, our, our software has now seen so many thousands of rooms that it has seen pretty much all of the different lighting conditions. So if a camera is misconfigured, if all of the pixels or 50% or 20% of the pixels are overexposed, then our software doesn't work properly. And we had also cases that cameras were put up, but the installers had forgotten to take off the plastic that covers that protects uh, the lens. We have also cases that a very big fly or mosquito is, is on the lens. Well, in, in those cases, our software doesn't work, but we can detect that automatically, that there's something blocking the lens, there's, there's something wrong, and we can then warn a nurse. But in all other cases, I think it's a matter of lots of training data and automatically the software works out of the box. How do you measure the impact of your technology? I think the answer there is customer satisfaction. So often we have a new customer, they want to sort of try it out or that they, they're careful. So they want to try it out on one facility with 16 beds or 20 beds and try it for a year. And then after two months, after three months, the nurses get more and more excited by our software because it helps them a lot. It saves them lots of time and improves the life of, of the residents. And then afterwards, they scale up. So a customer that scales up from 20 beds to 200 beds or to 2,000 beds, I think that is the biggest indicator of the positive impact that our software has on the lives of the nurses and the life of the residents. Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups? Yeah, I thought about that. One is to what helped Kepler a lot is to hire people that, that have worked in healthcare, that do not have an IT background, but that have a healthcare background, that have been former nurses. I think that was a, was a game changer. And I think the answer is you need to focus. So Kepler focuses on, I often say we are one inch wide and we are one mile deep. So on the field of elderly care and hospital care, our software can look after the well-being of elderly clients. And that is all we do. And we do nothing more. But what we do, we do incredibly good. Our false alarm rate is way beyond what, what anyone else does. And this gives so much evidence to potential customers that our software is really so much better than, than anything else out in the market. I think that focus had, had helped us a lot. The alternative would be to go much broader. So we, we've been asked to provide fall detection in industrial settings. 
or in uh, the cleaning of oil tankers and so on. But we, we have always stayed focused on, on healthcare because, you know, with the limited resources, you can handle only so many verticals and we, and we, we stayed faithful to the healthcare vertical. So that focus, yeah, my advice would be to focus. That definitely is very good advice. It's much better to solve a very specific problem very well than trying to do a whole bunch of things and being mediocre about them. So I, I definitely hear what you say there. And finally, where do you see the impact of Kepler in three to five years? The goal of Kepler, the mission is to that our software looks after the well-being of one million clients, residents, patients by 2030. So three to four years from that, we should be at the say quarter of a million, and that is yeah that that is the impact that is on the the growth trajectory. Maybe not not a quarter of a million, but I expect three years from now, Asova looks after one hundred thousand patients, and if we achieve that, I will be incredibly proud of what the team has achieved. I look forward to to following you and hearing more about that journey. This has been great. Haro, your team at Kepler Vision is solving a really important problem with activity recognition. I expect that the insights you've shared will be valuable to other AI companies. Where can people find out more about you online? Our website is www.keplervision.eu. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Heather, for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to speak about my company. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI. Thank you for listening to Impact AI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to learn more about computer vision applications for people and planetary health, you can sign up for my newsletter at pixelscientia.com newsletter.